Welcome to the first episode of the Bulletproof Dad podcast. My guest today is Mr. Brian O'Loughlin. Brian is the co-founder and owner of Movement 101. In today's podcast, we discuss how an injury inspired him to create a business where he now works with Premier League footballers and inter-county GA athletes, to name but a few. So sit back and enjoy the show. The Bulletproof Dad podcast is sponsored by M50 Skip Hire and Recycling a local business providing waste management services to business and organizations across Dublin and surrounding counties. Don't forget to mention the Bulletproof Dad podcast for a 10% discount on your next skip wire for your gaff or at work. They even do my bins at the gym. Mr. Brian O'Loughlin, you're very welcome to the first ever Bulletproof Dad podcast. How are you? Great, sir. Thanks for having me on. It's great to have you, man. So look, we're going to get through a lot today, but what I'm keen to find out is how a lad from North County, Dublin can get to where he is today, training Premier League footballers and GA athletes and all these elite people from all different realms of sport. So before we get into all that, can you tell me where things started for you? How did it all begin? Like the the early years of Brian, what was that like? Um, Well, normal and humble, I suppose, really. Was that like, uh, what am I, I'm 35 years of age now. So when I started... In the industry, I was 20, I believe. I did a two-year course, NCF course, and then went on to do a physical health activity degree. So I started uh, regularly in terms of the gym, classes, clients, fat loss, etc. Were um, you like a personal trainer? Was that what you qualified as or yeah, what was it? Yeah, personal trainer, yeah. Mm. So that was... Uh, how, how did you choose that? Like, where did that come from? Were you playing sport when you were younger? What was the interest to get you to that point? Yeah, definitely. So sport was a huge aspect of my life. Uh, my whole childhood, really. Golf, football, badminton, uh, you name it. I, I played at a pretty high level, and most of them as well. Uh, but after school, I was kind of a bit lost. I did like a, a journalistic, a journalism course, actually, sorry, for about six months. Worked in a hotel for two and a half years. I was kind of just trying to find myself. It was actually during the Celtic Tiger. Right. Made an awful lot of money, so it was great. Yeah, lots of tips. Uh, but I didn't want to actually... Uh, Work in hotels. So I was like, I go back to college and yeah, sport and fitness were just a part of who I am. It, mm. it, was, it was kind of an easy decision to make by that stage. And then I was in the industry for about three or four years, really enjoying it. It was, it was quite good, but I was suffering with a shoulder injury. Okay. And that was kind of the catalyst to change my philosophy and how I train and ultimately, I suppose, where I am today. Um, I struggled with, with, with the injury like, like for four years. Like I, I couldn't get rid of the pain. I tried everything, you know, physiotherapy, different modalities, you know, I spent thousands of euros just trying to fix it and definitely got some short-term relief, but I couldn't get long-term relief. But I, I did a course called Zoo. Did you ever hear of it? Yes, yes, yeah. I remember seeing the videos. Yeah. I was like, oh, what is this thing? Yeah, so it's, it's People crawling on the yeah, floor and so stuff. It's really yeah. high intense, uh, mad, mad stuff altogether. But I got through the, week, the weekend relatively pain-free and I couldn't believe it. Like genuinely, I could not believe that having suffered for four years with shoulder pain and not really training properly in like for the four years, that I got you that weekend relatively pain-free. So that changed my mind that one day I could m- move pain-free. Like genuinely, I was like, I can actually move pain-free. So I began to study different modalities and find different ways of training. I think I bought a pair of gymnastic rings that following week and began to train on them. And eventually I got myself mo- moving pain-free. And then clients, I just helped them with little niggles or do warm-ups and start to introduce this stuff into their training. Okay, yeah. And then I was like, actually, I can help people here. And then I started to give it out on social, started to kind of push this. Uh, and then I, I'd get one or two clients who were athletes and they wanted to move better to perform better etc and I was like oh, wait a second I can actually start to help people this way so that to change my messaging and then I met Rob and then Movement 101 cool out. so there's obviously lots going yeah. on there so <laughs> before you met Rob like how many years were you working as a PT before I met Rob so I met Rob 
six, seven years ago. So, so just to be clear, Rob is your business partner sorry, yeah, in Movement so, 101. Yeah, so yeah. Rob is my business partner. Uh, he's 45 years of age. And when we met, he'd been on a similar journey. He had moved, had back pain for three or four years and had a similar process in the sense of trying to get himself moving pain for eating and couldn't and then ultimately did by himself. Um, so I've been in the industry about seven or eight years okay. and doing quote-unquote movement style training for about a year and a half, two years. And then I met Rob in the gym. I was on the gymnastic rings. He was working in FlyFit and he came over to me. We just started chatting, training. And then over a space of 12 months, we kind of would meet up and train mm. and chat. And I had actually planned to leave the gym I was in, which is FBT, go online with Rob and start doing movement programs. Okay. And then we were offered a studio in FBT. Yeah. So we just decided to take it because it was such a good opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And Movement 101 was essentially born then. Cool, five cool. Five years ago. So going back to the injury, like was that, did you get a bang on something or was it just something that was just ongoing pain and poor movement? What what, what was it that what you think yeah, was causing it? Yeah, like, what, what it was, like, I can't tell you because there yeah. was nothing in particular that actually happened. But it's, like most injuries, it was quite progressive over time. Mm. So originally what started as a shoulder injury, bench pressing, uh, just turned into something four years later that actually consumed my whole life. Mm. So I ended up actually... Well, I couldn't train, like I said, properly for four years. It began to affect my relationships, my personal uh, relationship. I actually had a breakdown of a, a relationship because I got quite depressed for a good nine to 12 months. I began to feel like an imposter in terms of my professional life, of me teaching other people to do things when I couldn't do it. So my vision for life and what I believe I was capable of uh, just went. Yeah, yeah. You know? So it began to consume my whole identity and I was massively lost. So as much as it was about the shoulder injury, it actually began to turn into, into something that was just... I just couldn't control it. Why do you think it hits you so hard, like for a shoulder injury to escalate to that well, level it's psychologically? It's something that we, we deal with every single day. It's because your pain, my pain, anyone's pain is quite individual. And what starts off at a little niggle can end up at something else in the space of six months, six years, whatever. Because just think of anyone who, who's uh, injured or has pain who can't get rid of it. For example, me, my outlet was training. I now couldn't do this. My identity, as I mentioned, was being fit, was being strong. Mm. I couldn't do this. So all of a sudden, I began to lose the relationships in the gym that I had built up for the previous four or five years. I began to lose myself because I identified with being strong and being fit and I couldn't do it anymore. And that began to affect my day-to-day -day relationships, it began to affect me mentally. It began to affect what I believe I was capable of going forward. So again, what we do in terms of Movement 101 is that we're looking at pain and your pain in particular as, a, as an uh, individual from a much more holistic level than just movement. Okay. Movement is definitely important yeah, to build yeah. up the confidence to get you moving with real conviction. But like, it's so much more deeper and holistic than just the physical component. Okay, so like you, you mentioned there about the psychological impacts that it's had on you. Mm. So, and how a physical injury has escalated to that and it's affected literally hit you deep in terms of your identity, which is obviously huge. You've then come on, you've met Rob, you're yes. in the gym, you're having the crack, you're doing your stuff on the rings. How does that, what's the conversation there with Rob? Like when you realize that, okay, like there's something we can do here. Is it just feedback you're getting from clients working with them? Like, is it something, say you have a PT client who wants, the, the average PT client comes in, it's usually a weight loss thing or a fitness yeah. thing. Would that be fair to say? 100%, yeah. So are you trying to sneak in the movement stuff while you're doing the 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 sexy stuff, like the bench press, the squat, whatever they want to do? Or how, how did that kind of come about? Like, where did you start implementing the the, the movement specific stuff into your programming? Well, I, I suppose because the the content that I was producing was me and the gymnastic rings and, and, and that kind of stuff. And people just presumed that I had a background in gymnastics. Mm. And then when they they found out that I didn't, that I just learned myself how to train this way, then they were they were more interested because they they had a want to kind of control their own body, etc. But with Rob in particular, Rob had the exact same principles regarding training as I did. Yeah, and I didn't know him, mm. you know so. 
his story was very similar to my story, although different. And I suppose the the reason why we trained, what we were trying to get out of our training, how we were trying to help our clients was very, very similar. And we just believed that we could make movement accessible to the masses. And actually what we tried to do, we didn't succeed at this, but we tried to make the 80% of the population who don't go to the gym, mm-hmm. we were trying to make that more accessible to them. Okay. But what ended up happening was that 20% of people who are interested end up coming to us more so than right. 80%. Right, okay. We, yeah. That was the whole point. We, yeah. we thought the industry was about fat loss, was all about steroids, was actually quite, um, it would actually make people scared to enter the gym. Mm. So we just wanted to make it much more accessible. That was the whole rhyme and reason in terms of what we did. And then what myself and Rob were able to physically do, we knew was accessible to anybody. And we wanted to basically help people achieve that as well. So what was the roadmap then? So you say, okay, this is the, this is the fundamental principles we want to do that are movement-based training. How do you then bring that to the masses? Is it bringing people into your studio, working with them one-on-one? Is it developing online programs? Is it a combination of these things? What was the kind of roadmap in the early days? Well, the very early days didn't really work out the way we had planned it to work out. So initially when we opened Move It 101, we had a membership. Okay. So we had 30 members and they would come in and do different classes and they would include rings classes, mobility classes, hip days, etc. cetera. Um, just like your gym mm-hmm. would have a, a program, we would have different programs obviously for uh, members to follow. But we, we kind of realized within the space of a couple of months that this wasn't going to be enough in in terms of us having an impact and kind of do what we wanted to do. So we had built a movement assessment for our members. And I had got a a lot of people from outside of our our gym interested in doing the assessment. So I just began to offer the assessment, a one-off assessment to these people. That was done in person with you? That was done in person in, in, in the studio. So after about, say, a month of doing that, I was like, wait a second, we're kind of helping people here. There's definitely an interest here. Maybe we should start to actually deliver the service. Yeah. So we decided then going into the new year, but certainly from the, the end of kind of 2017, to start to deliver this one-to-one service. So the whole thing was built around this movement assessment that we had built and to help people physically move better. And it was more of a one-to-one service as opposed to kind of a, a group thing or a membership thing. Was that... Did you find when you're doing the group thing, what? because obviously everybody comes with their own issues in their tissues. I know from dealing with guys in the Bulletproof Dad program, different lads have different things. We often joke sometimes if we were a veterinary clinic, we'd have a shotgun there and we'd probably put half the lads down when they arrive. <laughs> obviously joking. But, um, you know, different people have different issues. Did you find, is it a hard thing to do in a group scenario? 100%. Yeah. That, that's why we changed. Because mm. we... we the group scenario worked really well for getting people general results. Mm. But to get specific results, particularly when it came to movement, because the individual had that unique uh, injury history or the goals they was trying to get, even again, just down to the individual and what they were capable of doing based off their day-to-day life, you mm. know, to, make, to, to go after the individual and work with them specifically was much better for us to get the result that we wanted. So that's why we did change from that kind of group dynamic to the one-to-one Um system essentially okay so i suppose just to give people listen to this a little bit more context say i come to you like like you've been through i say i have a shoulder injury the last two years it's just not going anywhere it's constantly holding me back in the gym i'm coming to you to to basically fix my shoulder for want of a better phrase that's probably what you hear my shoulders yep. wrecked i need to get a fix can you fix it what are you looking at then? Like, you know, if, if you go to an osteopath, you're looking for probably soft tissue work, or a few clicks here and there. You go to different physios, they'll have different methods that they use. Like, what specifically do you do in terms of movement or how how do you help someone with a shoulder injury? It's, in, uh, it's interesting, sorry, you said that about uh, fixing your shoulder because it's something that we do here every single day. It's something that I would have said myself when I had a shoulder injury for four years that I wanted it to be quote unquote fixed. So the first thing is to realize that most people who have pain or injury, there's nothing to fix. There's nothing structurally wrong with most people, although that pain is very, very real. So the first thing that we're always doing 
is we're looking at that human being as an individual first and foremost. So we have to just check their training program currently. So if they are training, we just look at what they're doing and can their body handle that. Mm. So we're looking at the training volume and we may just alter that slightly. After that, what we'll do is we'll physically assess how they move. So not assess how they move because you want them to physically move better, but just to give them more control, more strength and more confidence of certain areas of their body or just their body in general. Then after that, just like you would look at your clients regarding their health, we do the exact same thing. So we're looking at their lifestyle choices, their stress management. We're looking at their mindset. We're looking at literally what they need to have in place in order to be healthy because it comes down to stress with our mm -hmm. bodies, our nervous system, and ultimately just what we're capable of doing kind of day to day. So that's it really. Yeah. It's not that we're trying to get them to move a certain way. We're not trying to get them to fix, quote unquote, their shoulder. We're just trying to look at their whole self, their life, their mindset, their body, very holistically and just improve their health. It's very, very simple. It's not easy, but you're just then tweaking and, tr and changing the training, I suppose, around mm -hmm. those kind of principles. So you, so again, going back just to the shoulder example, you're in terms of the movements, you're taking my shoulder joint, if you like, to certain ranges of motion that they've never been before and maybe getting to bring pauses in there and get the body and the mind used to those positions and to get stronger in those positions or... Like how does that, I know it's very subjective, but how does that look in general? So that would be that could be definitely a way, yeah. So potentially what we do with someone with a shoulder injury, we're definitely assessing just how the shoulder joint moves in general. So again, can you rotate that shoulder uh, internally, externally? Can you move it above your head and behind you? Is there any pain? Is there any issues doing those things? Can you literally move your scapula, your shoulder blades in conjunction uh, with your shoulder, spine, rib cage? There's just certain movements around mm. these areas that we want you to be able to access. Yeah. And again, not to physically move better, but just knowing that if you can get these areas to move with strength, with control, that you're not relying or putting too much pressure on a certain area. And what's the hope is that if you if you bring, get these areas that we're talking about moving correctly, does that have like, an, does it loosen up things or lubricate things more or what's kind of what do you find happens when say I'm coming to you because I imagine if I'm quite close-minded and I'm fixated on my shoulder for the last two years and you're looking at how my ribcage moves I might be wondering like well the pain's here mm -hmm. why are you getting me to move here do you get that sort of resistance I know what you do but just wonder do you get that sort of resistance <laughs> from people yeah potentially yeah and, and that's why again you're meeting the individual where, where they are so it's not necessarily someone's going to come in and we might go straight to the ribcage straight away we may just look at the shoulder and give them some education around what we are planning on doing over the next, say, four weeks. So there's never kind of one set structure of exactly what we're doing, and we're always meeting the person where they're at. But underlying it all, as you mentioned there, is education. Mm. We're letting them know why we're doing what we're doing. We're letting them know what the plan of action is and where we're going, and ultimately we're making sure that they understand why they are doing this. Mm. Because it's not just about the mobility exercise. It's not just about focusing on where that pain is, uh, as you mentioned. Because something like pain as well, pain is a, a just what's going to happen in life. We can't get rid of pain. The idea is that we want to be able to learn to live with pain and not be held back by yeah, pain. Yeah. And in most uh, instances, people think they're doing more damage or they have an issue around an injury that they've had for a very long time. And that narrative and that story has essentially consumed their whole life or their whole belief around what they're capable of, you know? So it's about unpacking that slowly and for the individual. Big time, big time. No, that's really cool. I think um, something I've come across myself just in my own scenario is there's certain areas of the body where people like to feel sore after a session and then other areas where they can be particularly nervous. Yeah. Anything to do with lower back, if there's any sort of pain, whether it's muscular, obviously you don't want your disc bulging and causing trauma and pain. But I know like we certain exercise in the gym where if the lower back has worked a little bit, there might be some muscular fatigue the next day, like DOMS as we call it. And people can be very nervous about that. Whereas if they had the exact same level of DOMS in their quads or their, their chest, for example, they'd love it thinking that they're, they're um, you know, they've done a good session. Mm. They can feel them toning up or the pump or whatever you want to call it. Like, do you find that, is there certain areas 
like like is there is there particular areas that you find most challenging to work with like certain areas of pain or like in terms of body parts or is there like is there something you come across like is lower back pain the one you deal with most or is is there is a really is there's a big spread across the board between different areas I, of the body? I'd say like lower back pain only because it's quite a common issue for most people yeah. like lower back pain can be looked at as like the common cold we're all going to have it at some at some stage mm-hmm. the issue we see is that when people do have lower back pain as you mentioned there it's the beliefs around having that pain it's about what they perceive this pain or this issue around that area kind of means. And ultimately then they believe that they're doing more damage. So you mentioned there about a deadlift. So what we what we do is we will specifically train the back or train the spine at a very low level to build real confidence in people. So when they do go and lift heavier loads, when they do go and do certain exercises, that they know they have the strength, they have the control. And ultimately having a bit of DOMS there is absolutely fine mm. because you may have DOMS doing a deadlift in your lower back. Mm. The lower back to some degree is, is going does to move. Work. Yeah, exactly. It does work, Exactly, so it's yeah, fine. Yeah. But it's around, again, the narrative of the spine mm. and the back itself that it is an adaptable structure. It is able to be progressed and get stronger based off the exercises that you do. And the body isn't like a car. It doesn't need to be minded. It doesn't need to be fixed. It doesn't need to move a certain way where pieces are kind of breaking away. Mm. And we, we, we know this, I think, in, just in terms of what you do. People realize that they put on body fat. Yeah. And they can eat less calories and build muscle and ultimately they can drop that body fat. That's the body adapting to stimulus, to different uh, things that y- you can do. It's the same with any kind of training or just the body in general. You know, just the spine, it's in general, people are afraid to round their spine or you yeah. should sit a, way, sorry, sit a certain way. It's the narrative and the things that we're told, even pain in general. People are afraid of pain. People equate pain to a structural issue. Mm. That's not the case. And with sp- like I something I find myself with a lot of people is they they don't understand it. Like you said, there your spine is supposed to move, flex, extend, and rotate. Like again, people just think this spine is a fixed structure that mm. stays fixed all the time. And the word I always hear is like lads coming to me. One of it's not always the prime goal, but if you list their goals, they'll improve my posture, improve my posture, improve my posture. Like, what's your opinion on the word posture? Posture is a dynamic thing rather than a static thing. Mm. So. Something that I, I, I would have believed and people believe every day is that rounding your shoulders is very bad. Mm. That we're better off kind of sitting upright, squeezing our shoulder blades and keeping an upright position when we sit down. But remember, this static position of me rounding my shoulders is no worse or better than me sitting upright and staying static. The issue is movement. Mm. What people lack is movement or the ability to move in and out of both of these. So what we have uh, in the studio, for example, is a standing desk. And not yeah. that a standing desk is better, it just gives me options to move. Exactly, yeah. And the idea is that I can sit, I can kneel, mm. I can stand, I can walk around. The more options that I have to move, the better. Mm. But just go back to posture, the beliefs you have of posture. We can't equate rounded shoulders to pain. I actually have slightly rounded shoulders. I'm not in pain. Mm. So if the, me having rounded shoulders was an issue, surely I would be in pain. And if I'm not, we can't say that you having rounded shoulders is bad or is going to cause you pain because people have that posture and they don't have pain. Mm. So again, this is the underlying ethos of everything that we do is education. Yeah. Once you understand that the posture itself, where you are statically, does not make a difference. And what the body is craving is movement. So just give it more. So if I'm, say, we've seen a lot of it now the last couple of years, people are working from home a lot more. Mm. So they're still maybe working at the kitchen table or the countertop or wherever. Um, is What's your advice? So, so people like that who are maybe stuck at a, at a kitchen table for eight to nine hours a day working away in the laptop, you're not necessarily concerned with their posture and how they're sitting. You're more concerned of them getting up and moving around or doing specific movements while in the chair. Is, is that fair to say? Well, actually, well, I would say the first thing is do you strength train? Yeah. It's the first thing I'd say. Yeah. So are you strength training three, four times a week? Because if you're not doing that at the very least, you should be. When you're strength trained, then I would train, it's like it's what we do. I train, my clients train into different range of motion. 
So we train into big range of motion that we may not be moving much into during the day. So we're getting stronger, we're getting more confidence, more control in those areas. And as a result, I have more control in my body. Then what we do with clients, we build daily routines. So just like we get up and brush our teeth, do a five minute morning routine into areas, again, around the spine, around the hips that you may not be moving much during the day. You can do that in the morning, you can do that in the evening, you can do that at any stage at all throughout your day. Mm. When, we, when we look at training for most people, they just think of the gym or they think of sport. Yeah. They actually forget about the day-to-day -day movement. Yeah. And a really simple thing they can do is introduce movement throughout their day, go for a walk, strength, there's so many different options. Massive, yeah. And this is what it is, we, we don't want to box you into this kind of certain, uh, well, box and say, you have to do this, or you should be doing this, or this is bad, good, or indifferent. Everyone is different and is an individual but ultimately it comes down to taking the responsibility for your health and for your body. And what that looks like can be different for each person, but if you don't strength train, if you aren't constantly moving every single day, well, you're not gonna get very good at doing those things. So when you go to the gym to do your own workouts, mm. it's obviously you, you have your, your your movement stuff you do, but you are also lifting weights and doing, like you you've, you call it there, strength training or weight training, whatever you wanna call it, resistance training. What does like a standard workout look like for you? Do you go in and do your, your, your strength work first and then go in and do some accessory work at the end of the sessions that's movement-based or is there, is there any rules or regulations to what you do? It's, I, I just strength train. So I don't have any separate mobility work that I do. So I, the mobility work that you might see us program for some clients, essentially what they are are just low-level strength training programs. Mm. They're normally body weight. They're not normally working into areas that people haven't trained before. But once they move past them and they can do them well, we're building strength training programs okay, for everybody. Yeah. So my uh, strength training program would look very similar to what you do. It would have squats, it would have shoulder press, it would have all the normal movements, except I would just train into different ranges of motion. So for example, a squat variation. Most people would, would do a back squat and they want to do a back squat. And you definitely can. Sometimes I would change a back squat for some clients into a heel elevated squat. Mm -hmm. What that does straight away it improves their range of motion. We can get them into a better position regarding their kind of rib cage, their, their pelvis, and they're able to work into areas, i.e. their hips, i.e. their spine, that they haven't before. Yeah. And the idea is that just like a squat, we don't load that position very heavy from the get-go. We load what they can handle right now, and over week one, six, 12, we increase that load, they get stronger, and again, they get more confidence, they get more range of motion, they get more progression in that. Um, with that exercise. I'm, I'm glad you said that. We actually use wedges in the gym for the vast majority of lads. It's the odd lad that doesn't like to do it, but in fairness, they have good movement patterns, so it's fair enough. But something I find, and it's my biggest frustration, like we have the group set up in the gym, which is brilliant because the lads all push each other on and motivate each other on. But a lot of lads are fixated. Progress has to be in numbers, some measurable number. So it's usually more weight, more reps, more weight, more reps, which is fine when you can do the movement properly. One of my biggest frustrations is particularly with a back squat, lads start to get confident mm. and they want to throw more weight on the bar, which is all good. But the issue is, I'm sure you've seen it yourself, where when the weight becomes too heavy, the range of motion diminishes dramatically. And then what I find is the lads can't, like they're trying to squat to, to build up their leg muscles in particular. Obviously they're working a bit of core and lower back stuff as well, but the, the legs is the main mover. If they're loading the, the bar too heavy, they're not getting the range of motion and there's a lot more load going through their back as opposed to into their legs. That's what we find. So it's actually something that we refuse. We have scoreboards on the gym and we track certain movements. We do a test week once a month, but I will not ever test squat with the lads because I find that if we start chasing the numbers, the movement quality of what we're doing diminishes, diminishes dramatically, nearly for any lift, but particularly the likes of the squat where the spine is, is loaded with a heavy bar. You just have to be that extra careful. We have the same philosophy for deadlifts as well. Do you find that 
sort of mentality with your clients? Or are they a little bit more laid back on the reps and the weights because like, are most of them coming with some sort of pain issue? Or do you just get some clients that are just coming because they want to move better and they're not necessarily in pain? What's the, what's so the we, display? We have standards for reps. So our idea, with you can't load a position or you can't add more weight to a bar unless the reps themselves on that last set look perfect. Okay. And it's not about the technique. It's just about you having a standard. Mm. Because most of the research will tell you that technique in the grand scheme of things does not matter for injury prevention. It's load. So you mentioned there, people are going too heavy and they end up pushing themselves past their capacity. Mm. And that's where injury comes. I have no problem if you're doing a one rep max as a power lifter, or if you're pushing yourself as a weightlifter or anything you're doing that requires you to push yourself. Technique can go out the window and you can push yourself because that's a once off mm. and you've built up to that. But if you're in the gym, and the idea is to improve your health. The idea is to improve how you physically move. The idea is to make your life better. Your ego is getting in the way. Yeah, You're hard. just lifting more. So yeah. the outcome here for me, when I train, for my, when my clients train, if there's no specific outcome regarding the pitch or this kind of goal we're after, it's just to be in good shape. It's just to train and again, to have an empowered life. Then it's down to be, just be, have a, be better at the skill of strength training, mm. be better at the skill of lifting weights. So that's about having standards that I'm not just adding more load for, this, for the sake of it. So you think I'm deadly mm. and I look great on, on uh, Instagram. Because the idea is that if I'm able to make uh, a better rep each time, if I be consistent doing this week on week on week, the weight's going to look after itself. Okay, I'm going to increase yeah. it. And it just comes down to one question I ask all my clients. So for my athletes, is what you're doing in the gym making you better on the pitch? For people who aren't on the pitch, is what you're doing in the gym making you better in your life? So if you're in the gym and you keep getting injured doing things, as it's affecting you playing with your kids or going to work, just look at your programming. Mm. Just reduce the volume. Just be a bit more uh, smart about how you train and again, have standards for what you're actually willing to do and you'll, be, you'll have no problem. Like most, I haven't been injured for quite a long time. It's why I really like strength training. I'll manage my volume. Mm. It's so simple. But I'm not allowing my ego get in the way. I don't care if you think I'm a little bender for not lifting a hundred and whatever it is, like hundred kg. Like yeah. it's like it's just it's ridiculous. Like yeah. our ego is getting in the way because I'm not trying to impress you. I'm trying to live my life in a very empowered way. I'm trying to use my body and not be held back by it. And I want to get stronger. I want to get better. I want to get better at the skill of strength training. I agree with everything you're saying there. It's something that we have to implement, as I said, in the gym regularly with guys. And that group scenario probably makes it a little bit more challenging because they're conscious that other lads are there maybe pushing on a bit more. Um, do you find, I would imagine, the fact you work with athletes, I just want to get into this a little bit more, the type of athletes you work with. Can that be challenging? Because a lot of these guys would be serious operators and would identify as being fit and strong, like you mentioned yourself earlier. Mm -hmm. Can that be hard to get into their mindset that it's, I suppose, maybe is it taking a step back to take two forward with some of these guys and can that be challenging if they're used to being measured on performance all the time and they think weight and reps is part of their performance? Yes and no. No, in the sense of most people are reaching out to us and, and kind of understand our ethos and want to learn and do better. So they're definitely open to learning and have the education. And then yes, if, uh, like I said, a lot of, particularly the high performers or who kind of trained this way professionally for a good 5, 10, 15 years, they're kind of stuck in this ethos of like, I should be getting stronger, I should be lifting more. But then I always take back to that question, is what you're doing making you better on the pitch? And if it's not, well, at least give us 12 weeks. Mm. At least begin to listen and take this on board and let's just see kind of where you're at. So I had a professional golfer there yesterday, for example, been working with for the last nine months and he can't believe, so he was back in the gym, uh, strength training, because he's in the off season now. And he's like, I can't believe how much stronger I am. I can't believe how much freer I feel around my shoulders, my hips, doing all the stuff that I've always done. And we've been doing your kind of stuff for your way of training that has been less volume, 
but with this kind of different intent. It's like, I, I just can't believe it. And again, it's a hard thing to try and get across to someone straight away, but at least if you're able to prove to them through the performance that it does work, mm. then, you know, it, it, there's no denying it. With, with a professional golfer as the example, like how many days a week is he out on the course playing golf? Well, so he he's on the, uh, not the European Tour, the one underneath it. What's the one underneath it? I can't remember what the, Europe, the tour is called. So it's, just, it's a little bit different. So essentially what he is on is a similar of Thursday to Sunday. Right. But he's traveling an awful lot as well. So yeah, yeah. the Thursday to Sunday, if he, if he makes the cut, he's then traveling pretty much all day for the Monday and he's going on the Tuesday, which is really interesting actually because on the Tuesday, he's going to a new golf course. He has to walk the whole golf course to get clear of what it is. And then he's got going to go and practice on, on, on the Wednesday. So it's pretty much nonstop yeah. playing golf apart from that Monday with the traveling. And I think that's the same. I remember going to to do a course in the UK and the guy who was running the course was the strength and conditioning coach for many rugby teams. And he did a year or two um, with, uh, it was actually with Bolton Wanderers. Do you remember when Bolton had Big Sam as manager yeah. and like they used to get like all these lads who were past it, like Okocha and yeah, these lads, yeah. and they just got two or three more years of unbelievable performance out of them. He was involved in that. So when I heard that was why I wanted to go see him because it's just an unbelievable job that he did. But he just made point with footballers that like they're playing every three days because they would have been in Europe as well. He said like so. He said <laughs> I think he was kind of saying it was one of the handiest gigs he ever had because they couldn't do much in the gym because they were just play, recover, play, recover, play, recover. And I think like most top footballers now, they're in incredible shape. But I, I often wonder what specific gym work can you actually do with these guys because they're just going from play, recover, play, recover. Where do you sprinkle in your your, your weight sessions, for example? Mm. Like is that is that something that I suppose I'd imagine it's absolutely vital when you're dealing with these these high level athletes that we might get into in a few more minutes. Um, like, how do you do? You is that one of your biggest challenges with athletes in particular? How do you actually get your own programming into it? Where's the right space to drop this in? Do you know what? Actually, it's not because uh, we we train a, a lot of footballers from Premier League down to down to League Two, and they're so well trained when it comes to strength training. Like they've done strength training for years that we do change and alter our program slightly for them in season. So you, we oftentimes, if they're doing a gym program, because not every athlete will be doing a, a gym program, it's based off the manager as well. For example, mm. Benitez wasn't big on lifting weights. Yeah. So he would have taken it out during uh, in season, but a lot, a lot of managers would have it in season. So we oftentimes do tweak their gym programming and make it more individualized based off the movement assessment that we have got them to do. But if we're not going near their gym program, we will build them a mobility, quote-unquote, program, that's mainly body weight. Mm -hmm. And the reason we do that is because they're so well-trained, they're actually able to do this in-season. Yeah. It's not too taxing for them to, uh, that takes away from their... They're not going out with serious doms and exactly. next day to play a game. Yeah. And they adapt so quickly because they're so well-trained. Exercises that they find really difficult to do with body weight, in the space of 14 days, their brain, their body has adapted to this and they feel that freedom straight away. And the difference with us, because all of our professional footballers they either foam roll, rely on massage, or they do a small bit of stretching. And three of those things are quite passive. There's no active component yeah. in terms of kind of strength uh, with them. So when we actually get them to not do those things and focus on, on their strength training, they physically feel better. They've got much more control. Their ability to use their hips or their pelvis or these areas is so much more defined. And they're able to actually see the benefit on the pitch pretty much straight away. So it's kind of a, a long way of saying it's not as hard for the people who come to us and work with us uh, to get the buy-in. And then for our professional athletes, because they've never trained this way before and the stuff they've been focusing on with mobility has been, not to say the wrong thing, but more short-term options, it's an easy enough buy-in to get them to get the result. And do you find, like, something that's striking me now when you say that, like, it all makes perfect sense. Like, if if I'm a strength and conditioning coach for a Premier League team mm. and I'm working with all the players because that's my job, 
These players have come to you individually, haven't they? They've come on their own accord. Yes. Yeah. So you've given, say, say we can't name the footballers for obvious reasons, but say you've given like some of these footballers their specific program to do. They come into the gym and they're telling me that they're not going to do the program that I want them to do. Is there much resistance there? Is there kind of a, like, obviously there's two, there's a bit of a conflict there, if you know what I mean. Say I have a group session plan, like the Premier League footballers, for example, uh, I'm just going to use them as example because they're probably at the most elite end because they have the highest, the, the biggest access to sports science and all these yeah. sort of things. So, like, are they running, are they going to the gym as a group? We often see clips of the Irish rugby team, for example, and they'll train in a group scenario in the gym, which obviously has its benefits because the lads push each other on, but it can obviously bring challenges to try and individualize stuff. So, is there ever an issue where you're trying to get, say, a Premier League footballer to do the program you want them to do and maybe you're asking them to not do certain things in the gym but then his strength and conditioning coach who's employed to tell him to do these things is, is telling him to do this. How, how does that it, get managed? It, again, it's quite an individual thing because uh, oftentimes we will deal directly with their physios or SNCs. With, they'll be quite oh, they'll open. be included in the conversation. Yeah, okay. Not for everyone. It yeah. depends on the individual and, and the athlete. Like sometimes they'll let them know what's going on and then other times they don't want anyone to know. So it does depend in, in, in that case. And then oftentimes if I can't have any access or change, I'll just let them go with it. But let them know that, look, Ideally, I would like to do this. I just can't guarantee you potentially the, the best, best results yeah. because you're doing these things that I don't really be deem that you should be doing kind of right now. But again, that's as much as that is a bit of an issue because in season, even in general, if they are strength training, they're not doing a huge amount. They're mainly doing one, max, two sessions a week. So it's not too taxing. It's not going to really be killing them because most cases, even championship, championship is actually worse than, than the premiership. Yeah, sure. It's what is it? What, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, pretty much. Tuesday. Yeah. And that goes on for, for ages, you know. So like, because they're, they're, they're playing pretty much twice a week and oftentimes they're playing like, say, three, and then this year has been weird as well. Um, they're just not doing much outside of their actual training because they, they, they need to go through tactics. They need yeah. to actually literally recover and they're not doing anywhere near as much as you probably would think they would kind of uh, in between those matches, you know. Mm. And then like, say, that's the high elite level of what we're talking about here. I know we can't mention players. All I'd say is that we were chatting off air beforehand and there's one or two in there that lads listen to this definitely have in their fantasy football team at the moment. <laughs> so that just to give you an idea of the level that we're talking about here, um, as Brian was saying, he's he's like, for some of these guys, they come to him off their own accord. So I was slagging him saying it's like their, their dirty little secret that he can't mention that he's gone to see them, <laughs> which is cool in one way, but also frustrating for Brian because I'm But sure there was one lad last year who had a, a record year and that might kind of show you who how good he was. Yeah. He moved up somewhere this year and he's doing well this and year. And loads of lads would have him in their fantasy and football. And I can't say it. It's <laughs> because if you could, I'm sure it would help you massively <laughs> with your marketing and everything else. But then maybe bringing it back a bit because we look now at like the GAA athletes in our own country because I know you've done a lot of work with them. And they're obviously a different animal because the recovery periods they get between games is far less because instead of sitting around all day in plunge pools or getting massages and everything else, they're gone to work in a bank or they're working on a building site, for example. So like... How do you find working with the GA players? Yeah, actually, because I didn't have a GA background when uh, initially the first person to reach out to us was James McCarthy off Dublin. Mm -hmm. uh, that the first person that I kind of contact with uh, intercounty first athlete, athlete. Like, yeah. yeah, kind of first intercounty athlete that we had properly. Um, but the biggest thing with intercounty athletes is they are normally the best player for the county, the best player for their club. They can often then play for their college and there's, mm -hmm, like, yeah. there's just so many games crazy, to play. Yeah. And I know they've changed it this year and a more kind of condensed season. It definitely seems to work better, but just the amount of games they play is phenomenal. And even the, a lot of the uh, lesser athletes will say, quote unquote, but like 
there's so many athletes that we train who just live in Dublin and they move, they head down to Kerry for a weekend to train on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Yeah, it's a dedication yeah, yeah, they have yeah. for the I've, sport. I've, I've trained phenomenal. a few of those guys. It's crazy. Like yeah. two and a half hours on a Tuesday so that, evening down to train exactly. and then back up yeah. after. It's so it's, it's the first thing I'd say is that it's just phenomenal, the dedication yeah. they have. And ultimately what they're trying to do with their body is quite taxing and quite difficult. So that's why we would deem that they should really prepare their body kind of the best for it. But very similar. I, I, ideally, we are building them strength training programs in the gym. We're tweaking their, their, their gym programs, definitely. And then we're building specific, quote-unquote, mobility programs for them to follow in-season. We're building them dedicated warm-ups or cool-downs or recovery days. We're just trying to program as best as we can for them based off the individual and what they will or they can do. Are most of those programs working with athletes? Like I'd imagine, particularly like the, the Premier League footballers, obviously based in the UK, is that all done online or have you had, do you get some of them into the studio as well? Yeah, most of them in the UK will be online. We, obviously, we have a studio in Swords, so you get one or two that might come over. Uh, you obviously get more people in Ireland who will come up to the studio as well. But say 90% of people, it, it's all online. They don't like necessarily need to come in or they can't come in to, to the studio. But we do get an athlete athletes come in as well. So say you're, you, I'm a GA player coming in, yeah, and my friend is coming in after me who's a professional footballer. Um, how is it? That, like, have you got priority areas you want to help players get strong in, depending on their sport specific requirements, or is it all just looking at the individual, maybe where their injuries are, or like how do you decide? Yeah, I'm going to do this with the footballer. I'm going to do this with the golf player. I'm going to do this with the golfer. Like, how is this yeah. distinguished? Well, it's definitely so. It's based off the end of, uh, individual first, their assessment, their kind of uh, their history, kind of what they're currently struggling with, where, where they want to get to. But there is definitely a foundation. So we look at all of our athletes as human beings first, athletes second. So we're just trying to get them to physically turn well, bend over well, jump, run, walk, very basic human things well. Because if they can do those things well, literally playing football going to mm. golf, no matter what level you're at, they're all going to be much, much easier. Movement is a skill, just like golf is a skill. If we can improve the skill of movement, literally if you go and uh, improve the skill of golf, it becomes easier. So there's foundations that you want them to at least own and there's certain standards and tests that you want them to be able to pass. And once they kind of pass those tests, we're able to kind of move on phase by phase. And are those tests separate? Are they categorized into certain joints of the body, certain areas of the body? Or how, like how do these tests come about? Like, like I, I, is it a push-up test? Is it a yeah, similar test? Or is yeah, it so for example, like yeah, or? so a, like a lower body coordination test you would have would be a split squat isometric hold, for okay. example. So uh, you've got me to them before they're not fun. No, all. they're awful. Yeah. And again, the reason why we do that specific one is that there's a certain position of your pelvis and your rib cage that most people don't have very good strength or control in that range. Mm. For example, a lot of our Premier League footballers couldn't hold this split squat. Uh, isometric for 45 seconds. Mm -hmm. These are lads who are animal of men, yeah. yet they don't have uh, strength and control of their pelvis, of their hip in that position. And if we can improve that, we just know them kicking a ball, them twisting, turning, them jumping and using that hip, using that pelvis, using that lower body coordination makes them better footballers. Mm. It just does from, from the get-go. So th there is certain markers that we want them to hit. And then if they do hit them, we just know we can kind of progress them more, push them more. So, so you say you just know. Is that because... If they get strong in that position, is there a psychological effect that their body will allow them to go into those ranges of motion when they're playing? Does it make them stronger? Does it make them more injury resilient? Is it a combination of these things? Yeah, it's like, uh, the idea is that we're never trying to decrease their risk of injury because injury is just so multifactorial. Again, we go back to injury, for example, if someone comes to me and they've got back pain and they've got a child and that they're literally sleeping three or four hours a night, mm. that's a massive issue. And no mobility program is going to get rid of you not sleeping for the next six months or a year. Yeah. You can work around that. Yeah. We have to realize that you're being massively stressed. You're not recovering fully every single night. And you're at a stage of your life that, look, potentially you might have to just kind of deal with some things and do our very best to kind of uh, navigate that. So we can just never say we're going to like 
get rid of injury, basically, or yeah. decrease your it's, risk it, of injury. That's done in your like your consultation form or your your conversations with clients. You're trying to figure out what their sleep is like, exactly. what stress they have going on. So when, when we assess a client as a physical assessment, and there's a detailed questionnaire that goes through everything like mm. this: their injury history, their lifestyle, how they're feeling right now, how many hours of nature they get, what their uh, nutrition is like. We have to get clear of every single aspect yeah, yeah. because if it comes to injury prevention, you have to look at your recovery, you have to look at your ability uh, for you to handle the capacity and the training that you're literally doing. You know, that's what I mean about even just looking at the training volume. So most of our, our clients, again, uh, who are in season, like for example, the golfer, he was just training way too much before he came to us. He was strength training three times a week and was taxing himself like crazy. And we just said, Wait, look, he was let's depleted just... going out on the exactly. course. So, yeah. And the idea is that, especially with golf, it's such a mental game. If you are stressing your body and you're having to recover and focus on that, then when it comes down to the crunch and you're under pressure, you're just under more pressure. Mm. There's just more stress that you don't have to deal with. So we can just take away a stressor and your, your body's able to essentially have the capacity and able to adapt to what you're giving it day to day. Then for you to go and perform when it matters, you know, essentially is much, much easier. But sorry, what was the question? Well, I just, what you mentioned there about sleep and stress and stuff, I just kind of, I'm starting to see a lot of similarities because like when guys come to me in the gym and Bulletproof Dad, like it's more to do with obviously the standard stuff, the weight loss, to tone up, mm. get fitter, get stronger. And a lot of the guys kind of focus, I need to do these exercises, these exercises, I need to train this much, lift this much weight. They often like, like the inconvenient truth of all this is that they have to look at their nutrition. They also have to look at how they're going to recover from the sessions because that's, you can only, my philosophy with the lads is you can only train as hard as you can recover. I'm sure you probably have some well, sort of similar. Yeah, definitely. So we have to look at the stuff that helps them recover. So like that nutrition and sleep would be two big ones. And then we said stress management, which can have loads of layers to it, depending on the person and what's going on. You mentioned there about kids as well. So like, like for me, I, I can see a lot of similarities where I sometimes see guys who are frustrated with maybe not being able to lose weight despite all the training they're doing, but they're just fully focused on this one area and ignoring all the, the big elephant in the room, which is the nutrition and everything else. Do you get the same sometimes in terms of pain? You know, like I'd, I'd imagine you probably, you must get some people coming to you. We've used that at the start, try, expecting to be fixed after mm. a session or two. And they're obsessed about maybe the movement part of it or the exercises, but they're maybe just, I suppose, have a, some sort of a psychological block to looking at their sleep habits, their nutrition habits, everything else that's going on. Can that be hard sometimes to, to yeah. get across? No, definitely. Uh, uh, pain is, well, a, first of all, there's a very, a very real science to pain. Like, so pain science is a huge uh, area that we're only really understanding properly over the last 10 years. And we still don't know an awful lot about around pain, uh, for example. So what we look at uh, regarding people in pain is, we look, uh, tell us and our kind of foundation in terms of what we do, is weaponize your body. So we're trying to do with people in pain is to build real confidence in how they move and what they can do uh, uh, with their body, I suppose. The second thing then is to harness their mind, is to get them much more organized, get them much more uh, systematic and get them much more clear of where they want to go, what they have to do kind of day to day, and essentially raising their standards and then living with purpose. Because as I mentioned about my pain, you have to start to look at your relationships. You have to start to look at your professional life. You have to start to look at how you're living day to day because that all impacts your nervous system. That all impacts uh, your, your your body and ultimately your pain experience. So just quickly to give you two things regarding pain that people aren't aware of. Mm. Number one, pain does not mean there's a structural issue. So if you have pain around your back, it doesn't mean that structurally there is something wrong. It's not called chronic pain any, uh, anymore. It's called persistent pain. So persistent pain, or we used to call it chronic pain, is any pain that lasts over three months. Okay. Because after that uh, time frame, unless there was a break or a fracture, most of the tissues would have healed. So the pain is very real, but we're quite confident that structurally things have healed. So we know you're doing no more damage. We know structurally you are okay, yet your pain is still there. So the second um, thing that people aren't aware of is that 
pain is a protector. So it's often like a fire alarm. So just think of a fire alarm that's gone off in your house and there's been no fire. That alarm is very real. And what that is is going, just check out there's a fire somewhere. And if you look around and go, there's no fire, potentially the batteries are gone, maybe there's smoke in the kitchen. That, that alarm is very real, but it needs to be sorted because there's actually no issue in the house. Mm. And that's oftentimes what's ha happening with pain. Okay, yeah, it's good analogy, yeah. And that can come down to your beliefs. That can come down to your lifestyle. That can come down to what you are told by a health professional. We have people in all time saying, I went to a, um, a health professional and they said I have a spine of an 80-year-old. and I'm, I'm only 30. So imagine being told that by somebody who's yeah, more educated you're terrified you. to do anything. You're exactly. afraid to go for a walk. Yeah. And that's the idea with movement then. We're trying to uh, introduce small little movements day to day. We're going to try to progress those movements in, uh, into the gym to build confidence that you now have the ability mm. to move that area. It, but it's crazy. That's why the underlying education around what pain means, what your body can do, what you're actually capable of is everything because it's not just about the sight of the pain. And again, is that pain real? I had shoulder pain for four years. I haven't had shoulder pain for the last 10 years. Mm. And where, where to go? I don't know. There was structurally nothing wrong. That pain was very real, but you can see how it consumed my whole life. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a great way of putting it. You mentioned there about Telos. Mm. So Telos is this the program you're running there yourself and Rob runs through Moving One on One. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Like yeah, when so did it start and what's kind of been happening with that now? Yeah, so that, that's our one-to-one uh, -one kind of service that we are, well, we're, yeah, we actually are full currently at the moment. But, so it's, as I just mentioned there, those three key areas. So what we used to do the one-off uh, movement assessments, and that was purely looking at around weaponizing your body. But as we began to help more and more people, we realized that pain and their issues was, again, quite individual, but also much, much deeper than just movement. Mm. So that's where we began to get these other kind of sections of live a purpose and harness your mind. But really what Telos means is living your purpose. So why I strength train, why I do what I do is that I'm just better. I'm living who uh, my purpose. I am being a better father. I'm being a better leader. I'm being a better person by doing all these difficult things. And if you kind of break down life, I think, fundamentally, there's just underlying principles that if we do follow, that if we do uh, ultimately step forth into, then I think we are going to succeed. And the un underlying response, uh, sorry, the underlying principles that we stand for at Movement 101 and with Telos are responsibility. So taking responsibility for your life, however that might, uh, might look like. Getting the education so you can, uh, well, once you know better, you can do better. And ultimately then being empowered to be better, essentially, you know. So Telos is a community of people who want to be better, who want mm -hmm. to gain more control of their body, who want to step forward into life and ultimately who want to progress down any single avenue of you, life. You started this around the same time you became a dad. Is that right? Was it the two intertwined? No, actually. The, no, I think we started this about a year and a half, two years ago. So Sailor's about three, three and a few months. So it'll be about a year after maybe tell us, or after Sailor was born, sorry. And how did, so Sailor coming into your life, how did that change your outlook on things? So like you become a dad for the first time just over three years ago, your little girl comes into your yeah. life. How did that change your view on things? Like, because you, you speak there about purpose and principles and yeah. how you approach your life. Like, what what was the change there? Well, actually, you know what? It wasn't it wasn't Sailor that changed that, but it, it was certainly she was in my mind when I changed uh, about four years ago. And working with Movement One Hundred One, I burnt myself out really badly because we were extremely busy. I was working six, seven days a week, nonstop for about eight, uh, eight months. I was happy to do it. You know, we had loads of opportunity. We were doing really well. I was like, yes, 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 yes. But I burnt myself out uh, to literally a nervous system breakdown. Um, where I was like, I wasn't actually in bed for three months, but I was certainly in a bad way for mm -hmm. three months. At the time, I, I just worked. All about movement, all about movement 101. And I thought I had to, to do this, you know? And I realized then that I don't have to do this, that I'm much more than just movement, you know? What really matters to me is my family, is my friends, is my um, my mental health, for example. And all, all of these things have to essentially be looked after, you know? 
and I wanted to have children. I knew I had to change. And that's where like mentorship and stuff came in, uh, in for me. But that was the start of me kind of changing my philosophy of living, of the reason kind of why I am and why I do what, what, what I do, I suppose. It's all just to be better. Mm. And I remember when Sailor was going to be born, I think it was about three or four months away from her being born. And I remember thinking just so clearly that I'm going to be better for this child. This child is going to make me better. So the likes of my training, the likes of me uh, owning a business, everything I do is just that I want to show her what's possible. I, I don't want to tell her or say, shouldn't this or that. I have to do this stuff. And all the hard things that I have to do are just to show to her that she can do whatever the hell she wants to do with her life, you know? Mm. So it started a little bit before Sailor. It's just been more solidified over the last three years that, no, keep going, keep going, keep mm. going. It's I think everything. yeah, and I think she's forced you to prioritize. Would that be a way to put it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think like I think kids they really show you like what's important in life. You know, like as you know yourself, like when kids are sick and all, and they're just so innocent, and it's just like oh, there's a love you have for your child. Yeah, that's very difficult to explain. It is unless that, you go through it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and it's even it's just a love of like even now at three years of age, I still love her. What feels like more every single day, and it hurts me how much I love her. And it's like how is that even possible? Hmm. How can I love this child more than I loved her yesterday? And it's like, if that doesn't want, want you to make be better, nothing else will. And it, it doesn't make it easier. I still struggle and I still find things very difficult, but I'm willing to actually work through that difficulty. I'm willing to actually show up when I don't want to because she's there. And if I don't, it could affect her. So I've got to make sure that I do. So from what you're saying to me there, it sounds like she's enhanced her purpose. Would that be yeah, 100%. Say? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Like it, it's, it wouldn't be what it is without her. Yeah. No, no doubt. That's, that's powerful, man. And just to finally touch on, you mentioned there about like, you burnt yourself out. I think that's, there'll be a lot of people listening to the, this podcast who are business owners and mm. have maybe gone through that in the past or are maybe in the early stages of growing their business. When you look back now with the perspective you have, what would be the advice you would have given yourself, say, four and a half years ago before that hit you like a freight train? Uh, ask for help would be, would be the one thing. Mm. I think uh, I was certainly naive. I was inexperienced when it comes to work. And like I said, we, we were very busy and we were doing well. So I just presumed I had to do these things. I didn't realize that I could ask for help, but there's people out there going through the same thing that I was. So I definitely asked for help. But I, I genuinely am of this opinion, I think, I don't know what you think, but as an entrepreneur, I think we all go through these existential crises questions. And I look back now over that kind of intervening, probably even year or two, there was a lot of stuff that I was ignoring. There was questions that I was just shirking away from because they kind of revealed where I was inadequate. Mm. And I thought, if I just ignore them, They'll go away. No, 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 that doesn't really matter. And I think that's the joys of having, having a business. It makes you question yourself. It makes you show you where you're not, or not doing what you should do. And I think that's what I've done since that time is I've just used my business as, as an avenue to help me grow personally. Big time. The two go, your personal development yeah. has come with the business. And yeah. as you grow, the business grows. And I think that's the whole point of it all yeah. then. The idea is that like there's areas that I'm not good. There's areas that I want to get better. And all business does is, is reveal to me where I, I, I need to improve. And it's not bad that I'm not good down in areas. It doesn't make me a bad person. So I can reflect, I can learn, I can be better down these areas. And it's like, if I want to succeed doing this really difficult thing, which is owning a business, I think I have to be honest with myself. Otherwise, I'm going to geez, potentially top myself if I keep lying to myself over and over and over again. And if I want to have the impact and have the life that I genuinely say I want to do, then I've just got to be honest. Yeah, I think like you said there, you were busy and things were going really well. Yeah. And that can kind of be hard to get your head around. I suffer the same as well, where it's like you want the business to grow all the time. You want it to improve. But at a certain point, it does come at a cost to yourself because often the, the biggest, biggest limiting factor is time. Mm. And again, the more time you're putting into your business, that's less time to put into other important areas of your life and they can be neglected as well. And you see so many people in different areas of life where they're 
successful businessman and have worth millions or whatever, but they're five times divorced, the kids don't like them, all this sort of stuff. And you have that question, that balance of, is it all worth it in the end? And I think it sounds to me that Sailor came into your life at just the right time to give you that perspective. I feel I've gone through something similar with my own kids as well, that it's something I knew I needed to do, but they kind of force you because you've no other choice, really. I said, you can be there all the time. And I don't know, maybe something I found, I'm not too sure you can, you can let me know. I found at the start when, especially when Hayley was born, like it was tough, like becoming a dad, you've no mm. experience, there's no instructions manual with them. I found often going to the gym because I had to do stuff when in hindsight, I probably didn't have to do it, but it was good in the gym. I was like over there, I was, that was my domain of expertise, if you like. So when I was there, you get the compliments and people say, this is where Andrew's quite good. But then at home, I was struggling with a lot of this because it was brand new to me and I hadn't struggled like that in a long time because I'd been 10 years into growing my business. Yeah. And I look back at that now and I was like, Jesus, that was nuts I, I, thankfully I pulled myself out just in time but when I think back so I remember when my son was born last year I said I'm not doing that again I'm not making that mistake again just to be more present did you find anything like that yourself when becoming a daddy came along was there a few struggles there at the start yeah. or well, just I, to get your head I, I don't around? know if I mentioned it to this before but it took me genuinely about eight months to like quote unquote love sailor I remember initially like um, struggling to have a real connection with her I felt a bit like in the way Danielle was really looking after her she's obviously a lot more present because of uh, breastfeeding, et cetera, and all that. And I kind of felt like, what am I doing here? And I, I didn't have the connection that I thought I should have felt, yeah. you know? So that took me genuinely about eight months to really feel kind of part of it and the connection with her. Um, but like you said then, over the last three years or whatever it is, two and a half years, that's just grown and it's kind of got mm. more. And I think it's like anything though, there's always going to be an initial struggle doing new things, yeah. particularly a big thing like that, that you've never done before. The responsibility of a child is all yeah. on you. But then on the other side of that, because uh, but it sounds like you've had it just like me, is growth. Yeah, I'm so much better for yeah, it now exactly. and haven't yeah, gone yeah. through all that. You have to go through it yeah, first. And yeah, I think that if we can use that in any avenue, in our strength training, and again, I don't want to strength train, I don't want to do a lot of things in, in, in my business, but like if, if we work through those difficult periods, on the other side of that is real growth. And I think that's the joys of life is just to really work through all, I think it's what we're here for, is just to have these teachings and, and learnings that are always going to be difficult, no matter how quote unquote successful we are, you know? And I, I tried to go back to those principles of taking the responsibility of getting the uh, education of being empowered and having conversations that, that I have with you and stuff and surrounding yourself with people who are of a, a similar mindset makes it easier to kind of step forward into life. That's a stunning way to finish the interview today, Brian. So just before you wrap up, can you, if anyone's listening to this and wants to find out more about you, what's the best way to do that? Um, two ways, I suppose. Our website, www.movement101.com. And then Instagram is probably the best place to find us on socials, which is Brian underscore Movement 101 or M101. Brian underscore M101? Movement 101. Movement 101. Uh, on Instagram. And uh, yeah, you can check us out there. We have podcasts, there's programs. Uh, any questions you do have, so let me know. Absolutely class. Thank you so much for your time. And I know so many people listen to this are going to take huge value from it. Thank you, Brian. Cheers, man. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed the show, Keep in mind, we'll have many more coming in the near future. So don't forget to find us on Instagram at bulletproof underscore dad underscore program. And that way you'll be able to join us on the next show.